It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA. Agent Ether. Agent Kruger. (laughs) (laughs) And Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Discord. Links in the description. This week's episode, The Battle of Los Angeles. And we also have a very special guest joining us for the show this week, Brayden from Alien Theorists Theorizing. Welcome, Brayden. Yeah, welcome. The fact that you don't call guests special agents is right. upsetting, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I want to be referred to as special agent Braden for the rest of this episode. Um, thanks for having me on, though. I, like This is honestly one of my favorite UFO cases, so uh, pleasure to be here. Well, glad to have you. Awesome. Before we get started on the show, actually, the name of this show, Braden helped me choose, although he didn't know. One of your earlier episodes, Braden... You said you made some kind of offhand comment like you were, you were talking about how you came up with your show's name and you made an offhand comment like, oh, you'd have to try pretty hard to beat us as far as alphabetical order goes or something like that. And I said to myself, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> and that's kind of kind of how I went with this one. I couldn't believe it wasn't I, I think taken. I actually made the comment that you the only way to beat us would be AAA alien. But yeah. you guys did pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Alien conspiracy. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's simple yet efficient. Like if we were back phone phone book style, you're popping up way ahead of us. Yeah. And that was I was just sort of I checked the name and I couldn't believe that it hadn't been taken already. You know, it's just so generic and uh it's you know the SEO type stuff, I guess. But uh yeah, so that's so that's a little fun story. So why don't you tell us first a little bit about your show for people unfamiliar? Well, if you know, it's my show is Alien Theories Theorizing. Uh, four idiots talk about all things conspiracies and aliens. Uh, you know, doing it for five years. Um, you know, do a weekly case file every week. It's it, it's a, it's fun. It's it's more about uh, maintaining connection with my friends who we all live far away, and we all have a passion for the weird and paranormal. So we've been, you know, we just uh, much like you guys, we kind of cover the same kind of topics. Uh, pretty loose free flow. We're always drinking beers, you know, cussing, <laughs> smoking. But uh, I am I allowed to swear on this podcast? But I should ask oh, you. Before oh yeah. Then. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hell, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. When I first started it, fuck I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah, baby. No, when I first started this, I wanted to do a non-explicit, more of like a documentary style. You know, just kind of more straight laced. But we did that for a little while. But uh, thanks to ETA, I changed my mind, and we now we we just do whatever. <laughs> oh, I, what? well, I just I couldn't stop myself from saying stupid shit. Yeah. So <laughs> like, we, we at, a, at a certain point we kind of had to. It's mm-hmm. in all of us. Don't worry. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know our show was the same way. It's like we started uh, as we started to gain traction. Our producers all was like, "Hey, we would probably get it'd be easier if we stopped swearing." <laughs> and you know, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll put that in the back of my mind. Anyways, <laughs> you guys wouldn't fucking believe this, <laughs> right, yeah. right? It's like yeah. just yeah. it's how I talk. I can't I can't help it. I you know now if I really try hard, you know maybe I can keep it within five, five <laughs> f bombs, and you know whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's admirable. But, I respect yeah. that. That's a respectable number right there. 
Well, I'm a professional, right? So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Special agent at that too. You guys yeah. have dialed it down a little bit over time, but you know, you're still you're still a little edgy. Uh, well, yeah, we used to get. Yeah, we used to get a lot of heat, so <laughs> we don't get as much heat anymore as we used to. Um, but that just goes, you know, you try to ride that fine line of like being yourself, but not pissing everyone off at the same time. So it's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, fu- it's a fun balance. Yeah. I, mean, I swear sometimes people are made of glass. Well, I don't know. It seems like, uh, on, on everywhere you go nowadays, I don't care what your political affiliation is. So many people seem to get so offended at the drop of a dime, you know, it's like, what, what did I say? I didn't think I said nothing. You know? You're going to get a one-star review for saying that. I know. Right? I know, I know I right? Yeah. And, and I was trying I was trying to be right up in the middle. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to call anybody out. You know, I never do. But, well, sometimes. But, you know. Well, yeah. I speak for the nobodies. You're calling everybody out. Well, <laughs> shit. <laughs> All right. I don't know where well, I go with that. Let's uh, get to this week's case, the Battle of Los Angeles. Hell yeah. This one goes back quite a ways to February 25th, 1990. 19- 42. Hold on just a second. Buddy, shut up. <laughs> he just wants his two cents. Put it in. That stupid stupid dag. I agree with him fully. You want to treat walk over to grandma's house? Yeah. Oh. He's he's quiet all day. He's just like sleeping and that's it. As soon as we hit record, guy goes berserk. All right, anyways, let's try that again. We're talking about the Battle of Los Angeles. This happened a long time ago. On February 25th, 1942, and one of the interesting things to me about this case is this is before the so-called modern UFO era, which started in 1947 Mm -hmm. with Kenneth Arnold sighting. So this is way before that, but it's got, it checks all the boxes. It has multiple independent witnesses. We have government documents. We have even a photograph to go along with the case. So this is a A really, very famous photograph. Yeah. This thing went viral before the internet. Yeah. Like this, oh, yeah. This case, like looking back, like it, it made this incident made headlines across the United States. Yeah, this was a this was a big deal back in the day, especially because of when it happened. This was just two months after the attack on Pearl Harbor, so because of that alone, everybody was on edge. But actually, it was also two days after a Japanese submarine had launched some shells at an oil production facility just north of Santa Barbara. So, especially in Southern California, everybody was on edge and worried that they were going to be attacked at any time. And Los Angeles is right there on the coast. So, if a submarine rolled in, they'd be shelling houses and businesses and everything. It would be it would be a bad scene. So, everybody was kind of on edge. Everybody was really worried. And I think also because of that, everybody was, you know, looking up and around more often. They're more around of their surroundings. So that could also be why there were just so many witnesses who saw this thing. Well, and there was like mobs of like, they would have like the whole West coast was such on edge. Like this is one of the things that I loved about this. Cause it, you know, it kind of paints a picture of like, you can kind of relate with things, how things are now to back then. It's like they would have mandatory blackouts because they didn't want the lights of, of buildings on the West coast to be a target for these, you know, Japanese subs and stuff. So if you left your business lights on mobs would come and just basically vandalize your business and like smash all your lights and smash out because they're like, you're not following the restrictions. <laughs> oh, you didn't right? want to turn your lights off. Well, we'll turn them off for turn you. The I remember hearing, yeah. <laughs> I remember so hearing like stories had, about that happening like in Seattle as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like all over the West Coast. Was, to me, that's wild. You just said like, pe- police, like 
group mobs policing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it's crazy too, like uh, one of the things I, I, I found what was a, a little uh, eye-opening was like, uh, I, I like World War II history, but it's not like I know a ton about it. Um, I actually didn't know about that, that Elwood oil field uh, attack near Santa Barbara. Yeah, uh, yeah me neither. You know, you know, like I said, it's not like I know much. Like I mean, can pe- we put a we can put some quotations around attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a twenty minute sustained attack. They actually did attack, though, right? Yeah. yeah. They they used the main deck uh, gun on on their submarine, but I think most people don't even realize like mainland United States was actually attacked by the Japanese. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, a dock. It was a uh, well, technically, right? <laughs> I, I I found out about it when I watched uh, nineteen forty one starring John Belushi. And everything. <laughs> oh, Dan <nice>. Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what? What did this actually happen? And then you know, long yeah, and, long and turns out it did. And that attack yeah. only did five hundred dollars worth of damage. So whoever was behind that gun, <laughs> I know. I was just, <laughs> <laughs> they they need to hey, work. We on their barely aim. came back from it. That was they crippled us. All right, man, we got away lucky. Yeah, they they knocked out <laughs> some shrubs or something. Yeah, I, yeah, they couldn't walk to the sailboat. Yeah, it was still anchored on the other half of the dock. And they, you know, that dock took a good wallop. <laughs> Some shrubbers. <laughs> you shall get me a shrubbery or I shall say knee. <laughs> Sorry. It just reminded me of that. I, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. <laughs> You're not talking about, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you better. Knights of knee. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stop there. Sorry. We not are sorry. We knights who actually. say knee. All right. So what happened? <laughs> Everybody was on edge. And on the 25th at 2.25 a.m., air raids sounded throughout Los Angeles County and a blackout was ordered. At 3.16 a.m., the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade began firing 50 caliber machine guns and 12-pound anti-aircraft shells into the air. Over 1,400 shells were fired, and the air barrage continued until 4.14 in the morning. The all-clear was sounded, and the blackout was lifted at 7.21 a.m. And just to sort of explain the blackout tactics a little bit, this was in the day before they had, like, infrared and anything like that. So they would find their targets literally by just looking for lights and things. So if it was the dead of night and everybody turned out their lights, it'd be awfully hard to hit their targets. No GPS, no nothing. They just It was all visual back then. So it was a pretty effective camouflage. Well, and they had... They had like, you know, spotlights on. It's not like they just rolled out anti-aircraft guns. They were positioned because of the heightened fear of World War II and the attack on Pearl Harbor, a bunch of their ships, trading ships and and stuff being attacked. So it's like, you know, there was anti-aircraft guns all up and down the West Coast. You know, they they were, they took over Disneyland. They had spotlights. Oh, yeah. And uh, anti-aircraft guns in the Disneyland parking lot, right? Because you can't, you can't let Disneyland fall. Yeah. <laughs> if Disneyland falls, America's done. Yeah. We all know that. <laughs> well, and we all know that would have to be a main target for the Japanese as well. There's like these hidden military fortifications up here in the Bay Area. I took Agent Redacted to one of the batteries. Um, there's actually two of them you can visit. And one of them, the battery Spencer, is like right above the Golden Gate Bridge. And you have like these panoramic views and like the perfect picturesque scene and it's an ideal military location and there's uh like just all this leftover you know decrepit stuff from that era there's like poles like metal poles where they used to mount machine guns and there's like military buildings and it's just a lot of fun to like 
walk around and kind of be a part of that history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool to like, just kind of imagine like what it must've been back then. You know what I mean? Like what, what oh, it must've yeah. felt like to be a part of that whole ordeal. Cause that was, I mean, like, especially this time, you know, like you said, just a couple months after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the heightened level of like hysteria must, must've been at somewhat of a peak at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, 1400 rounds sent up, you know, definitely we we're on edge. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. They, Kill it. Whatever. Kill it. <laughs> Kill it now. Burn it with fire. Do everything. <laughs> now with, yeah, with artillery, like I like it's not like for some reason when I think of the artillery, I think of I like I don't know why, but I always think of like like the matrix scene when they're shooting all the, the they're in the, like the robots, like they're like oh, just blasting. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like, it's not <laughs> like they're loading these shells, right? Like manually stepping back. Like everyone's plugging the air is like, bang, like fire one off, like reload it. It's not something where it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's a process to load these things and fire them. It's not just someone sitting back, like hitting the red triggers, right? Like, uh, but that's what I always picture in my head when I would see the 1400, I was like, oh yeah, they're sitting there, right? It's like, no, like this is, this is a process that spanned over hours to shoot this many. So when you look at the process to go through it, I'm like, it's actually impressive that they fired this many in that time. Yeah. I it, I would absolutely love to have seen it. That would have been just the sheer force of like just seeing that. Like, could you imagine being a business owner and just being like, okay, we're blacked out, like shops all closed, it's just the eruption above you. Oh God, like just is scary but awesome at the same time. Well, it's not just a, the eruption above you. Like they're fixating Sirens the and, lights uh, on a single single spot in the sky, right? And they're firing. So like you'd be looking, you're like, well, they're shooting at something, right? Yeah, like, yeah and I'm under it. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially as a civilian, you see the that kind of reaction. You got it. You got to think it's for some reason. It's not for nothing. You know, we're under attack. You know. Yeah, one of the explanations for this one is that oh, I was just wartime jitters. Somebody got you know they got over anxious on their trigger. They fired something, and then everybody started lighting up the sky. But if you look at the picture, the spotlights are all focused on one area one object so if it was just wartime jitters you wouldn't have all those spotlights shining on the same thing and also you wouldn't have all the witnesses who described what they did which i'll get to in a little bit later i have some you know some witness statements unfortunately in this case we only have to go on mostly on what the newspaper said but it's better than nothing you know we didn't have uh, project blue book or anything like that collecting witness statements back then i'm surprised there were any witnesses actually if you think about it because they had all these like drills, like air raid drills, and you think people would actually do the opposite. They, they, they would hide if there was an attack. Well, you, you, a lot of the witnesses were um, civilian air warden, wardens, like volunteers who would volunteer to like watch the skies and to raise alarms and that kind of thing. There were a lot of people in their cars, and when the lights out was ordered, you were supposed to pull over your car and turn off the lights and not move until you know it was lifted, or you could probably get out of your car, but you know, stuff like that. So there were a lot of people. And plus you imagine the racket this would have made. You're not sleeping through that. So even if it's in the middle of the night, you're waking up and you're going to enjoy the show. And a lot of people went out just to see all the, you know, fireworks and stuff going off. It's probably quite a show. I would have been hunkered down somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I would not have been a witness. There's always that one person though, or that one group of people that will go against what you're supposed to do. Right. I mean, look at Florida. Hey man, well, rules are made to be broken. <laughs> you know, it's 
and it's not like this is a small town. It's it's L.A. Like there was a 1.5 million people living there at the time. Like it's 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 still a city. It's not like you know it's a country in 94. There was people everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the remarkable things about this case. So many cases are you know out in the middle of nowhere, and there's just a handful of witnesses. This case is probably has the only other case I can think of off the top of my head that might have as many witnesses is maybe something like the Phoenix lights or something like that, where you have an entire, you know, metropolis that witnessed it. I was going to kind of comment on the picture. Cause we had talked about that picture that, that was uh, released by the LA times, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go for day. it. And, and well, I mean like uh, I find that picture pretty damn compelling because the, the thing is you hear this, like you hear that like the, the picture had been modified or altered uh, to make it like, uh, you know, look a little better, I guess you say, whatever. But I've seen what I think, what I, I think is the original and the uh, the modified version. I mean, they're not that different. I mean, the original version still looks like there's something in the spotlight that they're fixating on. You know what I mean? And like, that's one of the things that really, to me, like, is very compelling. And it makes me really kind of think, what the heck were they shooting at? Because if it, I mean, you've heard this before, like probably most people have, like that are familiar with this case. If it was a weather boom, that balloon, that thing would be vaporized and it would have been gone in a matter of seconds. You know, I would think, right? They so, say, like, they say, like, I think that gives credit, credit to this case because the military has come out and said it was in fact something. So it, they, mm-hmm. they've never said that these lights weren't pointed at nothing. It was hysteria. They've said these lights were pointed at something. That thing happened to be an indestructible weather balloon that we shot, <laughs> fired 1,400 uh, shells at and couldn't take out of the sky. Yeah, it's yeah. 10 different lights pointing at it, and you have different positions all fixating it. And um, yeah. in that day and time, nobody's communicating as one. They're just hearing fire or probably seeing somebody shoot from across the way, fixating on that position and creating that cone of fire. And yeah, just, it's not all not for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Either, either like either it was something that was, uh, impervious to those rounds or what have you, or our, our military was woefully, um, untrained. Well, whatever, there's, you know, well like, there, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And like, you know, besides being jumpy as you could argue that, but we also had radar at that time and there's, you know, there are people that have, um, you know, not disputed, but the fact that our radar system was kind of, you know, kind of sketchy at that time. It wasn't like foolproof. Yeah. There was actually like a, I forgot one of the Robert Watson Watts. Yeah. 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 When he was saying we were completely, it was just gravely unsuitable. That was the quote. That was one of his quotes after doing and it, the investigation that he did um, for our like early warning systems and our radar systems were, were actually happened before this earlier in 1942, I believe. But yeah, there, that was one of his quotes. And, and he said that uh, and one of the other ones was it, it was in grave danger of plotting false tracks. That's a direct quote from his his report. So like that kind of thing, kinda, I don't know. It's like, it's like, all right, well, I mean, maybe our radar systems were very subpar and possibly they, they could have uh, had false tracks or what have you, but still, I mean, you can't deny yeah, the reaction so did their from the eyes, people on the So ground. did everyone's eyes at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what, no, that's what I was going to get at is that, but exactly. at the end, it still doesn't describe what we all like witnessed through the picture yeah, the, and what the they saw. The reaction on the ground was something completely different. You know what I mean? Well, the, the fact that the fact that the, like the military admits that it was picked up on radar and it was seen from the ground by eyewitnesses mm-hmm. 
it's by not three like different you, you can't say to right? me afterwards like hey our radar was no good like it can't be trusted <laughs> i was like yeah but it's corroborated with other evidence uh-huh, right yeah. so it's like maybe our radar wasn't up to par and sometimes you know did these things but you have two separate things that weren't affected by each other that are saying hey there's something up there radar mm-hmm. and people and lights and people shooting at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not to mention the radar readings came from three different separate installations. Yes. Yeah. And they all, and I, I'm not an expert on radar. I have no idea to be quite, well, I mean, I have a little bit of an idea how it works, but like I'm no expert, so I don't know how these things might happen, but three different installations that were seeing the same thing, you know, tracking the same thing. I don't know, man. It, it, I don't know if that sounds like a, uh, a false positive or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it seems unlikely that they would all get a false return and the military actually contradicted itself right away as well the secretary of the navy frank knox he actually held a press conference and he said the whole thing was just a case of war nerves like a false alarm but we also have a declassified memo from general george c marshall he said that it was that there were actually airplanes in there in the air and that he thought that it might have been some kind of uh, enemy diversion using like commercial airplanes as a psychological warfare to create a panic or something like that. And there, there's some other mm. stuff that the military said, but in in essence, they contradicted themselves pretty much right away. So what was really happening? Where was it? You know, some Japanese agents who <laughs> took off in some Cessnas, or I mean, listen, <laughs> if Japanese Cessnas can withstand <laughs> 1,400 mortar shells, they should just outfit all their airplanes with whatever their right, their yeah. commercial jets are. Um, yes. to, me, to me, I'm like, it, it makes sense that they would, they would want to downplay this situation because you have a, a nation on edge, right? Like th- there's, at this point, there, it's, the, the war isn't guaranteed won. Like it's not like you're going to, they're like, hey, we won this. You're in... Th- you're in the fight right now. Everyone's in high alert. You're not just going to be like, hey, listen, we saw something last night. We fired everything we shot at. It was ineffective and it took off. We don't know what it was. <laughs> uh, we'll let you guys, we'll give you an update when we know. Like, you're not going to do that. It's not instilling confidence. It's going to, you know, mm-hmm. instill fear in people in times of war. So, of course, you're going to be like, ah, our bad. Like, there's nothing. Like, you, you, you obviously shot the mortar shells off. So, you got to say something. But mm-hmm. you're not going to be like, oh yeah, it was it was uh, probably just some invincible commercial crafts or something. I don't know. Like you, you're going to downplay this. It was moving too at a, such a slow rate. I don't even think plane could travel at the rate of you know speed it was going. I mean that thing was. But maybe a crawl. UFO could. It, yeah, yeah exactly. Dr- really yeah. drifting. Well, yeah. The <laughs> the only thing we had at yeah. the time, and still to to my knowledge, uh, outside of helicopters, would be some kind of dirigible, like a balloon or you know a hot air balloon or a blimp or something like that could travel that slowly. But again, slowly. to survive, survive all those rounds, you know what I mean? I mean, even if it was, give it the challenge that it's going at a vertical and horizontal because, you know, balloons float up. I mean, what the hell is they going to do? But that thing stayed intact and it was reported that it took direct hits at points. So it again, that's a tough-ass balloon. Get me in that thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, like remember the Hindenburg disaster? Like, <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah. if we would have hit one with a mortar shell, that thing would have been lit up the sky? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And the Hindenburg was supposed to have been like ignited through like static charge or something like that, right? Yeah, 
Now imagine so, you I mean, hit that thing with a direct shot of a mortar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And shoot mm-hmm. that fucker with a giant round and see yeah. what happens. And also, like, I I believe you would have had better pictures of a fucking giant ass blimp <laughs> floating. <laughs> like you like you would have seen Over it one like of the one, biggest cities on the West Coast. Yeah, you would it would have just blown up been blown apart. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you would hope that the military would be 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 able to identify correctly a weather balloon or a blimp, right? <laughs> not, yeah, not expensive. What was all the this? first year the Goodyear blimp? Have we have we have we made sure we cross reference to make sure there's no chance that this was uh, the first mistaken identity of the Goodyear blimp? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I never looked into that, but I will right now. <laughs> they used uh, they. You know, it's surprisingly that thing Goodyear blimps have been up for quite a while. Oh, I mean, since 1917. So yeah. we can't even, oh, we can't even cancel out it. the Goodyear blimp. Yeah. But that's Damn. a good year, man. <laughs> that's a, I think solid. If it took all that. Yeah. There's this old joke. Uh, what do you do with 365 used condoms? <laughs> oh no. Anybody know? No, I could you, think you, of you, a couple of things, but I don't know this I, joke. You, you recycle <laughs> them into a tire and call it a good year. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, there you nice. go. <laughs> I, might edit, I might edit that one out. That might be a bit much. No, no you got to leave it Don't out. do it. it. Don't yeah. do it. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a solid one right there. Yeah, yeah. it's not mine. I think I got that from some book or something. I don't remember. But yeah, so the the interesting thing, like like I think Adrian Kruger was saying, this thing moved really slowly. It went from about Santa Monica to Long Beach, which is uh, more or less 20 miles. And it took about 30 minutes, give or take, to make that distance. So we're talking about like a really slow rate of travel. And that's like, that's what I could find. But I also found um, references, like there was a news report from, I think CBS the next morning that talked about it coming back after that or going away and coming back. But I didn't catch too many details on that. Like as far as, you know, specifically what time everything happened, but it appears to have moved down the coast very, very slowly. And the whole time they were bombarding it with shells and witnesses on the ground even said they saw the shells hitting it to no effect, which is really weird. It's hard to wrap your head around that. Like what could cause that? But then I was, I started thinking, what if it was something like, you know, we, we, we have talked previously on the show about something like an Alcubierre drive, which would bend space time around the spaceship. And that's how you could overcome, you know, the, the light speed barrier, essentially. If you had something like that, then a, a missile or a shell, well, you could just bend that energy around the ship as well. And you'd be invulnerable to that kind of an attack. So maybe it was something like that. Who knows? But witnesses did say they saw it getting hit and they saw a solid metallic craft, not some kind of balloon or weather balloon or something like that, which, you know, as ridiculous as that seems, I suppose they could have missed 1,400 times, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, and isn't a weather balloon always the excuse? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. But in, in too many cases, like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. It's a weather balloon. Well, it's like, that oh. or Venus and Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah, my favorite. Venus always getting in the way. My favorite Venus explanation is the Illinois 2000 triangles, which you could say you don't believe the witnesses. Yeah. You could say whatever you want. But to say that these, you know, these football field-sized triangles are just the planet Venus is just a little, little bit much. <laughs> that's my personal favorite yeah, one. Yeah, it's it's well, it's almost like insulting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what are you? What are you, the hell are you talking about, man? Like, no, this that doesn't line up at all with what people are describing. Uh, no, 
Well, that's the same with this case here, right? It's like to say, to come and say like, this was a weather balloon. It's like, how did it not like, I don't know how weather balloons work. I'm not a scientist, but I would coat my tanks in weather balloons if this is how they. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it's great damage. when somebody comes up and tells you your eyes are wrong. Your eyes are lying to you. It's like, fuck you. Hey, fuck you. Beyond, beyond just this one object, there were some listening posts that detected five light airplanes, but uh, uh, supposedly nothing was sent up to intercept them, and we don't really know what those light craft might have been. They could have just been small airplanes. People fly around in small airplanes. They did then, and they still do today. So it could have just been some sort of civilian, you know, people pri- flying around in their private aircraft. We don't know. Oh, yeah. That poor son of a bitch. Just calmly going through the sky <laughs> yeah. just chilling out and then all suddenly everybody's trying to kill you from down below yeah yeah could you imagine you're just you're flying from uh you know from wherever to wherever and then the whole sky just lights up you're oh my god yeah and then but to come out yeah. of it unscathed and just fine you'd be like well, holy shit i used all my dumb luck that moment Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, w- that would have sucked so freaking bad. As like just like a regular commercial like uh, pilot, was, whatever. And that's when I started drinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so other witnesses reported lighted objects in groups of three that resembled flares and chains of lights that looked like illuminated kites. So again, we have you know other descriptions of things that may or may not be related to the one object that we know for a fact was being bombarded because we have a picture of it. But this is not unusual in UFO cases to see multiple different types of craft flying around an area. One thing that I wonder about is that shrapnel and even dud shells were found all over the place, all over the city. They damaged cars and property. They even allegedly uh, injured or killed a few cows, which is, you know, kind of sad. Because California is the land of happy cows, you know, supposedly. But one thing I wonder is, what if the shells actually, the shrapnel or whatever was ricocheting off of this object or other objects, and that's how it was, you know, ricocheting back. But then again, maybe if you're just lighting up the entire sky, it's pretty much inevitable that you're going to get some shrapnel all over the place. Yeah, it's definitely called swinging for the fences there. (laughs) Yeah. I have a quote here from the Long Beach Independent. There is a mysterious reticence about the whole affair, and it appears some form of censorship is trying to halt discussion of the matter. Although it was red-hot news, not one national radio commentator gave it more than passing mention. This is the kind of reticence that is making the American people gravely suspect the motives and competence of those whom they have charged with the conduct of war. And it wasn't just them. A lot of newspapers, like the Los Angeles Times with that famous you know, the famous front page photo, one of the columns on that front page is about, you know, they suspect the government basically covering something up. So it literally the next day, immediately right away, a cover up was suspected by everybody pretty much because what the government was telling us did not match what people were reporting at all. Well, that's not a, that's not a new thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but like, like in American history, by the time you know, like nineteen thirteen or so came around, like most of the uh, newspapers were owned by a few select individuals, and the the fix was kind of in. That's that's one reason, and this is completely unrelated. But that's one reason why, like, uh, you know, the the uh, 
like the monetary system that we have right now was enacted, you know? Yeah. With, with, you know, so control of information, you know what I mean? Now I did read. Sorry, that's a little, little side tangent. Little, yeah, a little far afield. We won't go, we won't go down, you know, that, that route. That'll be yeah. a whole other episode. <laughs> I read yeah, an analysis. episode, but. Yeah. I read an analysis by Bruce Maccabee, who's like a physicist type dude. And he came to the conclusion that based on the data, you know, like the photograph and everything else, he couldn't come to a conclusion about the size of the object in the photograph. If maybe we had multiple photographs from different angles or whatever, but this is one thing that a lot of people try to do is they'll say, okay, we have this picture. Can we tell how big the object is? The sad answer is no, we can't, unfortunately. Mm. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because I'm sorry, go ahead. I had to look something up because uh, when you said that like, you know, this shrapnel and stuff was, you know, causing damage and stuff because I'm not... (laughs) I didn't, I don't really know how artillery works. I was like, I just always assumed it was like a, it's just a giant gun. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It's a giant gun. Shoots a giant bullet. So the thing for me is, I'm like, in order for you to get shrapnel, either some of these weren't shooting these (laughs) far enough and they were actually lobbing them back and, you know, basically friendly fire. (laughs) Or like you said, these were hitting something and coming back down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so some of the shrapnel areas were actually reported to have been in like like very specific areas, like right under where that light, the, all those like different searchlights were all pointing. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, I mean, like, yeah, there there are flat like there were flat guns that were being shot, but there also were were like straight up anti anti air you know, uh, cannons that were being used as well. Yeah. And like not, not all of them just like explode in the air at a certain distance. Some of them do like the flat, the flat guns do, but not all of them do. So like, what were they hitting? You know, cause some of them seem to have been hitting something. Dude. And they have like a range of 19 miles, uh, 155 millimeter howitzer. I don't know if that's what they were using, but 19 miles and, and 14 miles. Running. So these things can, f- these things would soar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so it's like either they're really undershooting and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Hey, Hey guys, you have no business even firing at this thing because you're lobbing it down, <laughs> missing well, or put you behind the gun or they're like, obviously someone's spotting this thing of seeing like, you, I don't think you would just aim up and shoot. Like, obviously they would have some engaging distance of being like, okay, yes, this is safe to fi- fire. Like you, you, like, you're not just going to fire shots up in the air knowing like, Hey, this thing's going to just land, you know, probably 20 miles short, but hopefully it scares this airplane. Like you're, you're going to fire to hit it. So it's, it makes sense that this shrapnel would more than likely be from something hitting this object and then coming back down below. And more likely killing your own civilian. Yeah. Yeah. Person you're trying to protect. I mean, if you look at, you can look at a few photos of people uh, that are like on their knees trying to pick up some of the debris from, you know, or like trying to dig it out from the ground. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, if it was hitting something in it or exploded in air, I wouldn't think it would come back and hit the ground with such force. So if it was a ricochet, though, I could see that coming down in more velocity and like it, it punctured a sidewalk and like, you can see a dude's elbow deep into the ground trying to pull up whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. So, I remember seeing that picture. Yeah. That would be crazy. If you were seeing like rounds actually skip off it, like a tank. What I wouldn't give to be there in the moment experiencing this for myself. You know what I mean? If I had, 
a time machine or something. Sometimes I, sometimes I just sit there and daydream about that kind of shit with some of these cases. You know what I, I mean? agree. Yeah. Or the photos yeah. that weren't developed or like maybe some footage that just was, you know, shot and they're like, ah, nah, it's worthless. They already have the photo they want. So I think it might be cool to go back in time as yourself. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case in some, in somebody's basement. Yeah. End yeah. up in the sky and then they start shooting you. It was you all right. along. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> there we go. End of case. We got it. We solved it, you guys. Predestination. <laughs> I did read one tongue and thick. Sorry, go ahead, and AJ Anderson. Yeah, I did read. I did read one tongue and cheek <laughs> theory on uh, above top secret <laughs> about uh, one person posted. They said maybe it was people like middle class people from the future because there's you know there's no more war, so they have to come back to the past to actually see war as like a you know a form of entertainment or something. It's <laughs> like why was, not? Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's a it's a Disney ride from the future, right? Yeah, like exactly. It all makes sense, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, far in the future. Like uh, you know, um, Elon Musk has uh, provided this service to everybody after he like finished Starlink and you know all the different uh, you know rides to uh, space and stuff like that. You know, like like uh, he, he tackled uh, time travel. Well, know? Elon says we're never going to <laughs> Mars. And only the though. rich get to do it. He says we aren't going to Mars because we're not. Uh, oh, did he? We don't. Yeah, because we're we're not populating the planet anymore we have like uh infertility rates are negative in some countries so he's like we'll never get to mars <laughs> you guys <laughs> need to uh huh. you guys need to start having more kids hmm yeah get busy baby listen <laughs> i can get on board with that yeah. i don't know i, I think they, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest i think the human race would have to advance so much in order to become a, a species that is without war because uh, we have so many differences, you know, and, and I, that's a good thing. And it, it's also a bad thing, too. I don't know where really to uh, to land on this subject, but I think it's going to take quite some time for the human race to get into that mode, be advanced, you know, that that advanced. You know what I mean? I have a couple of witness statements here. This one's from a newspaper, and this was a, a lady named Katie who was uh, an air raid supervisor in her district. She was a volunteer, and she said... It was huge. It was just enormous. And it was practically right over my house. I had never seen anything like it in my life. It was just hovering there in the sky and hardly moving at all. It was a lovely pale orange and about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I could see it perfectly because it was very close. It was big. And that's she what she said. That, yeah. I, oh, God. I was. Yeah, I, was I win, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They all wanted to say it. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh yeah. All right. I hadn't even thought of that. I should have I should have uh warned, warned Sorry everybody. To interrupt. <laughs> all right. Sorry so, to interrupt. I just couldn't I couldn't help myself. Come on, man. With a setup like that, how can I help myself? All right. Yeah, it was you had to. It was <laughs> yeah. a slam dunk waiting to happen. I was compelled by my morals. <laughs> all right. <laughs> She also said, they sent fighter planes up and I watched them in groups approach it and then turn away. There, they were shooting at it, but it didn't seem to matter. Now, this quote's interesting because other people also reported this, but officially, including an official memo sent to the president, said that they did not send any planes up. So which is it? Did those people see planes sent up or were they just imagining that? It's hard to imagine that they would be imagining that, but it's... It's one of those strange things. It's one of the inconsistencies in this case. It could be, what I'm guessing is maybe because of how ineffective our defenses were, 
Like if you're reporting to your supervisor and you're, you know, like, let's say you're middle management, you know, like a general and you're reporting to the president and you're like, Hey, uh, no, we didn't send up any airplanes to shoot at it, <laughs> you know, cause you don't want to admit failure. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know, but it, it's a, uh, it's a very strange thing, but she continues. She says it was like the 4th of July, but much louder. They were firing like crazy, but they couldn't touch it. And that was uh, in, really interesting because it matches what some other people say. And it wasn't just like your, you know, your typical pedestrian flying saucer or whatever, but actually was like self-illuminated. And again, you know, there are blimps at night are self-illuminated. So maybe it was just an indestructible blimp, right? <laughs> but but yeah, the, if, you, if you dig through, you know, some newspapers of the time, you can find a lot of anecdotes like that people describing what they saw people described like you know v-shaped formations you know big big objects small objects and all sorts of different things the only document we have released that i'm aware of that's um we know for 100 is a fact was a full it was a report from uh george marshall general george marshall to president roosevelt and in the in the memo or whatever it was he says he, he has some points he has six points says, number one, the unidentified airplanes other than American Army or Navy planes were probably over Los Angeles and were fired on by elements of the 37th California Brigade. These units expended 14,000 or no, 1,430 rounds of ammunition. As many as 15 airplanes may have been involved, flying at various speeds from what is officially reported from being very slow to in excess of 200 miles an hour and at elevations from 9,000 to 18,000 feet. Three, no bombs were dropped. Four, no casualties. Five, no planes were shot down. And six, no American Army or Navy planes were in action. So that's the only like official, official document. But I did find on MUFON.com in the MUFON Journal, I found an article about some leaked documents that may or may not be genuine. They, they appear to be genuine, but we don't know for sure that they are. But if these things are real, it's kind of as close to a smoking gun as you're going to get in these documents, which were between mostly between presidents and their advisors or their, you know, military generals. They talk about uh, the U S military recovering two craft in this, in this event. And they believe these craft to be of interplanetary origin. And they also oh talk. Boy. Yeah, I know. Right. They also talk about a special committee on non-terrestrial science and technology, which it, to my knowledge has not been admitted to, to this day that they really have something like that. I mean, they have, you know, like project blue book that we know about, but not something that's for, you know, specifically communicating or studying aliens, right? It's all, it's all very hush hush. So this was from the collection of somebody named Timothy Cooper, a former Marine who had requested documents through the FOIA. And I won't go through all that stuff. I'll just go over the documents real quick. So the next document we have is from two days later, and it's a memo from President Roosevelt to General Marshall. And it's basically telling him to not tell anything about, not tell the Russians about this, because Marshall was wondering, hey, should we share this information with our buddies, the Russians? At this time, this is before the Cold War, so we were still friends with him back then. And this one's really interesting because, well, I'll just, I'll just start, I'll just read the first sentence. I have considered the disposition of the material in possession of the army that may be of great significance toward the development of a super weapon of war. 
So it's a short little memo, but it doesn't specifically say, you know, UFOs. But if you put it in the context of when the memo was sent, which is two days after this, and what they're talking about, it sure as heck seems like they're talking about maybe, uh, you know, some alien technology that they may have captured from the Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, we don't know, but we can we can hope <laughs> that that's the case, or at least imagine that it might be. And it also authorizes Dr. Vannevar Bush, which that's, that's a whole other topic in and of itself, that fella, but uh, authorizes him to proceed with a project without further delay. It doesn't really say what the project's focus is. All right, so two weeks later... On, the, on March 5th, Marshall responds with a detailed memo declaring that he had established a review of unconventional aerial phenomenon going back to 1897. And this particular memo is it's kind of hard to read in certain places, but it talks about details about the recovery of two objects associated with the Battle of Los Angeles. And then we have a fourth one that pertains to this case, this is two years later, in 1944, he wrote a memo, uh, President Roosevelt wrote a memo to the Special Committee on Non-Terrestrial Science and Technology, and it was apparently a reply to an earlier request for money, and possibly for a project that was trying to re reverse engineer UFO technology, but it doesn't say that explicitly. We don't know for sure, but it sure sounds really interesting, and it's classified double top secret, which at first, like, wait a minute, there's no such thing as double top secret, but apparently there was, and you can find Oof, examples. Just wait till you hear about triple top secret. I know, right? <laughs> just wait. But yeah, so this one, it's, uh, it, like I said, they, there are examples in the Library of Congress of double top secret, but it's not like a super common a uh, super common thing, and you you might have to ask a historian more about that particular point. All right, and then the last one is uh, from Vannevar Bush to President Harry Truman, and this was apparently Vannevar Bush wanted to kind of uh, brief President Truman on what the situation was, and uh, he, so he's telling him about wartime recoveries and encouraging the implement, implementation of an aggressive re reverse engineering program. It's a two-page letter, and it clearly states that it will be in the United States' best interests to discover the technology and apply it to achieve a higher standard of living in the United States. So the other than the first one, the, the remaining four, it, we're not entirely sure what the authenticity of these are. They could be hoax. They may or may not be. We're not sure. They, they were found in, the, in a collection of this guy's letters. They, what was that guy's name again? Oh yeah, Timothy Cooper. So this was found in Timothy Cooper's collection of documents. We're not 100% sure that they're that they're authentic, which is maybe why I haven't heard of them before, but they appear to be authentic. And for anybody who wants to try to look up more on these themselves, we're talking about February 26, 1942, from George Marshall to Franklin Roosevelt, a memorandum for the president. Uh, February 27th, 1942, Franklin Roosevelt to George Marshall, Memorandum for the Chief of Staff of the Army, March 5th, 1942, George Marshall to Franklin Roosevelt, Memorandum for the President, and February 24th, 1944, Franklin Roosevelt to the Special Committee on Non-Terrestrial Science and Technology, Memorandum for the Special Committee on Non-Terrestrial Science and Technology, and July 5th, 1944, Vannevar Bush 
to Harry Truman, letter of transmittal. So if you Google this stuff, you can find these documents online and read them for yourself. As to whether or not they are genuine, I have no idea, but they seem very, very compelling. You know what I think it was? What's that? And maybe this is a little bit early on in the war for this, but I think it might have been the Die Glocke. Oh, Die Glocke. Die Glocke. Well, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, to be honest, this point, with what we know about Germany and like them kind of looking into the occult and stuff like that, like maybe it's not out of the question to think that the reason why they were interested in these flying objects is because they've heard that the Germans were potentially already delving into this stuff, mm -hmm. right? You know, there's people after the war that have pointed to uh, Annie Jacobs. She wrote the book Area 51. She says that while we were, were doing Operation High Jump after the war and grabbing all the V2 rocket scientists that mm -hmm. in Operation Osavayakim, where the Russians were grabbing their scientists, that they were oh, going yeah. after aerospace engineers. And, oh, yeah. you know, and there's, there's certain German... Uh, engineers and stuff that went missing after the war and were never seen from again. And and she kind of alludes that perhaps Russia was interested in seizing these crafts that were either being built or experimented on or tested by the Germans. So maybe this is something that wasn't ready for war, uh, but it was a test at the time, right? Like, yeah, something that was experimental that they may have been trying to use or something like that. Exactly. And like, either way, whichever side may have absorbed this technology, potentially, what have you, or absorbed the scientists that were involved, you wouldn't hear nothing about it. You know what I mean? There's probably going to be no, no public information available on it. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, shit, your guess is, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, who knows what happened with that kind of technology, if, even if it was a real thing, which some people think it wasn't. Some people think it, it is. But I, I tend to be on the side where I, I think it is. You know what I mean? Like, I think they were doing something, you know. Yeah, and just but, as as an aside. A ton of evidence. Just as an aside, anybody interested in Deglaka, Operation Hijunk, Operation uh, Os Osavayakim, is that how you say it? Deglaka. Alien theorists yeah. theorizing, they do have episodes on all that stuff. So you should definitely check them out because they're, they're really good. Actually, a lot of good stuff in there just to kind of interrupt there. Thanks for, thanks for the, thanks for the plug. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I don't know. Do you guys have, what do you guys have else on this? Cause I have a couple more witness statements I'd like to go over. I was just thinking to myself kind of in my head, I would what the Japanese thought about all of this. There's no way, you know, it's going to be kept under wraps. It's in the papers. It's in the Times. So what kind of intel, I'm wondering, did they have? And what did they think about this whole situation? It was Japanese lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been one of two things they were thinking of, like, oh, wow, they really responded, you know, well, look at the, <laughs> they shot a shitload of rounds up there in a the moment's notice. Or they were like, holy shit, they really suck. <laughs> Their aim is terrible. <laughs> they couldn't hit shit right in front of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, who yeah. knows? I mean, depending on what the actual reality of the situation is, you know. Well, they yeah. might not have landed other, in California. That, I don't really have any. Yeah, they might not have landed in California, but four months later, they actually landed uh, in Alaska. Now, it was a small indigenous island, like a little farming community, but still there was technically an occupation, a brief occupation. <laughs> they took mm -hmm. over a little farm, huh? Yeah, a little fishing village. All right. We, <laughs> we did it, you guys. <laughs> we have well, conquered wasn't America. Wasn't that like one submarine? Wait, like what? Well, who was uh, when they 
prior to the event of what we were talking about that night, uh, what was the, was it just one ship that was firing upon us at that oil, uh, you know, factory or was it? Yeah. Uh, I think it was a single, single sub. Was he supposed to test out the defense or to see if we gave a shit or it, well, it did makes he you get wonder, wrong huh? intel? Was he like the only guy to show up to the party? He's like, wait, I thought we were all doing this. What the hell? Like, <laughs> I'm taking the battle to them. He's just a rogue agent for Japan. Yeah, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, like, like why did they attack? Like, was it was it part of a diversion that actually like no, nothing ever came to fruition because of it? Or like, were they were they actually thinking that they could have, uh, you know, destroyed that installation with one sub, which well, they obviously why didn't. Not, why not stay? Why not stay and destroy it? Like, it doesn't make sense. You had you had people, Japanese pilots, suicide bombing ships in Pearl Harbor, and you have mm-hmm. these guys taking couple pot shots at a dock and then leave it piece it out like it it does it's it's a weird it's a weird one for me but i mean these were it's weird that they would just do that and they're like all right oh we you see that we got like six rounds off let's peace (laughs) yeah what was it just like an overzealous sub you know captain like submarine captain that like decided to take uh you know the opportunity potentially that presented itself to him you know did they find themselves like off course and like all of a sudden they're on the west coast of the united states like oh shit i didn't know all right, we we weren't supposed to be here so soon. Uh, now, I know now hear me out. I know that Let's there's a target. shoot them. Let's shoot at them. We'll bail and we'll be heroes. Okay, who else <laughs> fucking did this? No one. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like could, could just, be or the yeah. No, but I digress. I mean, yeah. Other than that, yeah. Sorry to steer us off course there, but um, oh, we're always yeah. off course half the time. I know, right? <laughs> that's part of the fun. We're know? blindfolded behind. There's a, a local myth in the Santa Barbara area that. The captain of the submarine was a disgruntled worker from that area. He worked at those oil fields, so he wanted to come back and shoot a couple of shells hmm. off at it. But it's completely unsubstantiated. Huh. There's really no way to prove it at all. It's just one of these local myth kind of a things, according to the internet, you know. I would buy into that because it's like, it's like, what's the installation? Like, what's, what's the value of this target to mm-hmm. take your, like, you obviously... Like you think if you were ordered to destroy it, you would have stayed and just like kept firing at it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So probably got orders. He's like, he's like, where are you? Sub, you know, whatever number. And he's like, I'm, I'm shooting. I'm shooting at LA right now. (laughs) Wait, what? No, you fucking idiot. Get out of there. (laughs) That's not LA. That's Santa Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Santa Barbara, wherever the hell you are, get the hell out of there. (laughs) It makes you wonder what other ships they had just off the distance, you know, just kind of floating there. Waiting for us. They weren't attacked or anything. The Japanese submarine. Nobody attacked them. Nobody tried to drop bombs we on them. They didn't care. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of it is kind of like, strange right. that they didn't stick around to actually cause damage. They just let off some shells and then they just pieced out. It's a little weird. Yeah, it was like twenty minutes or something, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I think nineteen forty one did it right. So I still haven't seen yeah, that if movie. If you guys by haven't the way. seen that movie, no. you should definitely watch it. Oh wow! Something to do. Damn. Something to do. Yeah. By the you way, should do it. Have you guys, I didn't even know like that there was a battle of Los, I don't pay attention much to movies. Like I watched some movies and stuff, you know, I didn't even know that there was a battle of Los Angeles movie. I knew for sure that there was a battle of Los Angeles, uh, album by Rage Against the Machine. I remember when that, that came out. I remember, uh, yeah, I saw that one, the one that you're talking about in theaters years ago. (laughs) Awesome, awesome album. I don't agree with their politics in any way, shape or form, but awesome album. Terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Uh, what is it? I think it's Aaron Eckhart. 
Was the movie Sorry. about like an alien invasion or something like that? It seems like to me. Yeah, yeah, full on. I, I no, kind of wish it, they would have just. It would have been cool to do a like a suspenseful movie about this event rather than like a full sci-fi approach of like they actually get, you know, we get a full-on invasion. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. remember it not being the best movie. Well, that reminds me of a movie I did see called The Vast of Night. It's on Amazon Prime if you have that. And it takes place like in the 50s and they do a really good job of setting it into like small town America with like the the way people dress and the way they talk and everything. And it's about mm-hmm. uh, kind of about UFO sighting type stuff. I don't want to say any more than that because I don't want to give spoilers, but it's, really? it's a really... What is it called again? I don't think I've seen that. It's called The Vast of Night. It's kind of a slow pace, but... The Vast of Night. Yeah, they okay. do a really good job of like building the atmosphere of the movie. And it's sort of around the idea of uh, some sort of UFO kind of a thing, but you never actually even see the UFO in the movie. It's So it's a little... It's the exact opposite of, you know, like a... Uh, um, I don't Independence Day kind of a thing. You could take this story and make it a movie as is and just leave the mystery up to the viewer of like, oh yeah. Do you believe this that they fired on this balloon for four hours and couldn't bring it down and consistently saw it and it just continued to drift? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. just terrible aim that night. That just yeah, absolutely sounds- just blind. Oh, there's plenty of material there to work with. Yeah. Plenty. I took all kinds of notes, like newspaper articles and all kinds of cool stuff, but I like, I don't know if I want to read all that much, but I do have a couple of uh, witness statements. Uh, I want to get to at least one of those because they were taken after the fact of people who were there at the time. And for me, the, the witness statements are it, rather than going to what like a newspaper or what somebody says about it, like their opinion about it, going to the direct witness statements is always your best bet to see what the people who were there, what did they say about it? Does that match up with the official explanation or does that match up with what the newspapers are even saying? Because unfortunately in this case, a lot of the information we have does come from newspapers, not all of it, but a lot of it. And I found over the, over my time doing the show, I found that newspapers can sometimes be highly unreliable they tend to exaggerate or embellish facts a lot of the time. Not always, but they do sometimes. Yeah, I think especially back in the day, like this time where it's like, you know, one news article is writing an article based on another article, right? And it's picking up the story, right? It's like you you add a detail here or there, take a liberty, then things are cha- things change in a hurry, right? It turns into telephone yeah. very quickly. But all right, I have this here from H.C., That's the abbreviation. I don't know what their real name is, but he says, I'm a World War II veteran. Just thought I'd let you know that I was an eyewitness to the event back in February of 1942. I was 14 at the time, living in Adams and Crenshaw area of Los Angeles. My family and I observed the entire episode through the large bay window of our home facing west. The air raid sirens awoke us at 2 a.m. There was a period of silence following that, then the thumping of anti-aircraft fire. The northwest sky was lit up with bursting shells and searchlights. The action was moving south along the coastline. I remember distinctly the convergence of searchlights reflecting off the bottom of some kind of slow-moving objects, apparently flying in formation. They seemed to be completely oblivious and impervious to the shells exploding around them. I was quite the aviation buff back then, as I am now, but I must admit that I had a devil of a time trying to identify the objects. 
What with the awe, excitement, and speculation of the moment, the bursting shells, tracers, etc., I was surprised in the days that followed to discover that with all the aggressive firepower, there was no evidence that we had brought anything down. I lived on Virginia Road half a block south of West Adams Boulevard and one quarter mile south of what is now the Interstate 10 Santa Monica Freeway, about 5.5 miles southwest of what is now the Los Angeles Civic Center, and approximately 10.5 miles due east of the Pacific coastline of Santa Monica. We were looking in a westward direction from our large living room bay window, which gave us an unobstructed panorama of view facing the northwest, west and southwest. We then went to our south-facing kitchen and porch windows to observe the action where it culminated in the south. Ergo, the action followed the coastline. It could have been two or three or up to six miles away. I can't recall exactly since it occurred so long ago, but I strongly remember the searchlights converging on the bottoms of the reddish objects flying in formation. And this actually reminds me of something I was reading earlier. One of the newspapers talks about there was actually an aircraft somewhere in Los Angeles or a police station reported finding a downed aircraft somewhere in the city. I forget the exact street, but it said the exact street. And there's also reports of police closing off that area. But uh, this, this kind of stuff, I think it was maybe covered up or something because I couldn't find any mention of it anywhere else. And it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, did where does that come from? Did a newspaper just kind of invent that? Or was that like a real police report? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't figure out how to uh, track anything else down around that. But I find it in- incredibly compelling because it does sort of go along with some of the other discussions I've seen, that, that being that, you know, maybe we did down something and we did find something or maybe it was nothing at all. I don't know. But it was, you know, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing about like this time period too is like nowadays there's going to be very few people, if any, that are going to be still alive that, that witness this firsthand. You know what I mean? So like the only thing you have to really go off of is the testimonies from people that were there at the time that actually chose to make a statement. You know what I mean? And I would imagine most people probably didn't just because they're – they probably just took it as like, you know, a potential attack from Japan or, you know, maybe even just a, mm-hmm. a botched uh, response to something that wasn't really there, you know, but like, or a weather balloon, like it was, you know, released later on or the next day. Right. Or was it the next day? I forget. Oh, oh no, that's right. I, I'm confusing. I'm, I'm confusing the, uh, the facts here. No, it was uh what was it? 1948 where, uh, uh, former Air Force Major uh, William Goss, I think it was, that uh, was a college professor at that time. By the time he made this report, he made a report on the on the behalf of the U.S. Uh, Air Force about this very incident, and he, you know, concluded that it was a weather balloon. Basically, at the end of his uh, report, you know, those pesky weather balloons. It's interesting to think if you look at that and you say like, "Hey, maybe we did down something and collect it." which would then predate Roswell. If you think, wasn't the Manhattan Project was officially launched in August of that year? Mm -hmm. Right? So you could say that like, you know, if, if that's, you know, we're speculating that we did potentially get something, could we have dropped it and could that have helped, you know, reverse engineered this stuff to use in the Manhattan Project? I mean, I think it's quite likely, you know, I mean, the, yeah, I could go along with that because the Manhattan Project. I'm just looking project, at times. I'm like the times. Yeah, yeah and that the Manhattan Project kind of line up. Right? It was yeah. such 
a leap forward in technology. It was, it was not like a linear progression. It was, it was like a, a real, there's a real gap in what we had before. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> we're, we're splitting the atom with, we didn't even have calculators, you know, it, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was some sort of drive, like a nuclear drive that we modified into a bomb. Yeah. Well, why would that be our ergo like move there right away? You know, no, that I that's that's still crazy though. I mean, yeah, that's well, wild to think about. Say say we would have found like a, a nuclear drive of some sort or some kind of advanced drive from an alien species, let's just say. Do you think like like through like reverse engineering at that time, we probably could not have reversed engineer it and like understood everything about it. But maybe we, maybe just we learned enough about it to split the atom. You know what I mean? And, and spark you know a fuse, and it just blows up. You're like, holy! You're like, well, yeah. that'll be useful. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, let's why wait? We let's go wanna. blow some shit up. <laughs> no, that's. I, I mean, I just want to. Like, wouldn't you? But. If we could reverse engineer, I would be putting our resources to, and this, I guess it just falls under opinion. Like you, I would rather it have been for our technology to help, you know, civilians, but also you could help the war effort in a way, well, but to jump to just, let's blow the fucker up. Let's <laughs> well, I mean, at that time and at that period in time, like what, that's all the effort that we were putting towards everything was, was to win the war. Yeah. You know? no, you're so, absolutely right. Yeah. So there's, there, I mean, I, I think it's completely reasonable to think that anything we would have learned from something like that would have been tor- put towards that effort. You know what I mean? So I, I, I find it completely reasonable to think that like, if we would have learned something from, you know, a drive like that or, or, or technologies with it, we may have recovered from a, a fallen spaceship or what have you, you know, then we would have immediately put that towards the war effort because everything was being put towards a war effort at that point. Oh yeah, you know? no, I agree with that. I mean, I would say like, wouldn't you want to suit our fighters with it or some sort of new way to dispense artillery or, you know, just something well, yeah, but like cause I said, more damage and get the hell out of there or put us yeah. ahead of their technology eons like, ahead. Like I said, though, there, I mean, who knows? Like there, there might've been only so much at that point we could have learned from what we found. You know, or, if it yeah, was a maybe crash ship, that, that you know tip I mean? of the iceberg was splitting the atom at that point. So I could, yeah, I could totally yeah. get behind that. Yeah. And then that was just like, oh, a fraction of what we know now can be used to wipe out half the world. And then we still have enough left over to like improve our, yeah. you know, well, situation. It's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because later, later statements by some of the scientists that were involved in the Man- Manhattan Project, like some of them thought that like making this, like splitting the atom in particular may start a chain reaction within the atmosphere that just basically blows up the whole world. And some of them were actually pretty adamant about this. Like they thought that this might very well happen on, on, upon the, the first test. Yeah. yeah and, and that's a scary thing to think that's about. That's a gamble. Man. That is such a gamble. Yeah. Well, it's a huge gamble. You're absolutely right. I mean, like just, and then they still went with, they still went through with it. That's one of the things that like, I find so wild when it comes to man, the Manhattan project, like, like, thank God it didn't happen obviously, but like some of the scientists were, were actually kind of sure that this might happen, you know, and they still went through with it. You know, it's like, I find that crazy. And now obviously I'm, I'm sure a lot of these science scientists were overridden by, by more powerful forces. You know what I mean? But I feel but, like yeah. at that point, that was the beginning of the end. I mean, that was the last time we had something of that scale. If I'm, I mean, I don't know what we yeah, have maybe. now, but like, what do we have something on par or if not better than a nuclear weapon? I if mean, we, like, if we do, I don't think we know about bomb? it. I don't know. 
Oh, oh, oh no, yeah, the, yeah, oh, yeah. of course. But I'm just saying, like, not blowing stuff up per se, but like putting our mind in a different. Like, where's the teleporters, man? Where's my jetpack? Where's my what? fucking anti gravity gun? It's interesting to think, because if we're going to kind of go down the speculating that perhaps if this was the first down craft, um, and you know, there's not a lot of, not a lot of evidence to support that, but it's fun to think about because if we think about that, this is potentially the first down craft. And then, you know, say we use whatever we get from here to reverse engineer some sort of drive and we make a nuclear bomb. I find it interesting if we're going down that theory to think that as soon as we start find, like firing off these bombs, seemingly is when we start to get a huge jump in UFO activity. Yes. So maybe it's something where it's like we're firing these bombs off, but these people are like, a drive is being like, we can tell that the, like one of our ships was here because they're getting, it's firing off. Like, yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, I could definitely see that. I mean, not only that, but if it was not a downcraft, but it was our technology advancing to that just in a natural progression, then I I am a believer in the fact that they would be, hey, they're starting, like, there's a level or process to this. So our civilization being oh so advanced compared to theirs is like, oh, they're not ready for us to introduce ourselves. So yeah. Could you imagine if this, you know, this spacefaring race that uses nuclear energy for space travel, they comes and they've like, Hey, we lost a ship here. And these, these psychos have just turned our warp drive <laughs> into bombs. They just blow craters into their planet. <laughs> that, that would scare the shit out of me. And I wouldn't want to contact them. Like, yeah, you'd be like, so like, what are, what are they going to do with the stuff that's actually meant for that? That's, shit? That's a know? good damn point. So I mean, that's some scary, that's a scary damn point. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they were already observing us, you know, or just observing the missions that they had, you know, strewn out throughout the, uh, the solar system or the the universe, you know, I'm always terrible at making this comparison, but it's just like that Island and like the, in the middle of fucking nowhere, but like, there's no contact with the outside world and they've made it a, an absolute effort to preserve their natural like progression as a, you know, they, they are so far behind. They're still in the tribe, you know, like mentality and anybody that steps foot on that Island is killed and anyone and everything they need to live is on that Island. So they have no you, reason to leave. Are you talking about Sri Lanka? Uh, no, I'm talking. I, I they, they've forget. literally had no contact with the outside world. I, I know what you're talking oh, okay. about. They're, they like, they're like, they like, they're still in the stone age, like, basic yeah. rudimentary tools tribal cultural primitive hunt- hunter gatherers yes and the only few people that have like gone out there have been killed so like there's been missionary you mm-hmm. know just recently there was you know in recent it's you know in, in India, the 2000s are you talking sorry? about isn't it around india around that area is it uh, maybe uh, i'm I believe so. Let me, I'm, I'm I, I know that there are a couple groups of hunter gatherers. Like, uh, there's one or two throughout South America that are, are so embedded within like the uh, rainforest it's, that I think it's they, North Sentinel Island. It's called thank this, you. Yes, yes, yeah. the Sentinelese. Yes, yeah. They uh, they have made it a complete effort, and we have on our own part to try not to mess with their way of life, barring a few exceptions with you know the dumbasses that want to spread religion there or whatever they want. They've been killed basically, and it was. Uh, but I mean, I why not apply that to a bigger scale, us as a planet and as a whole, saying, yeah, they're they they just will kill you, and they're stuck in their own ways, and they're not ready to accept the fact that there's other civilization or there's other. Well, 
life out there. <laughs> Here's the thing, like so, like you look at that tribe, um, and you know they're they're humans, and they don't even know that there's more technologically advanced humans, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, within exa- contact. Yeah. So if you could just extrapolate that, and like, yeah, we're here, we're enjoying, we're on our computers here playing game, but like we don't even realize that there perhaps is more technologically advanced humans out there that are doing the same thing to us. Uh, there's a doctor, Dr. Mike Masters, and he has a theory that all these aliens and stuff are just versions of humans evolved from the future that just come back. And they just, it's like, it, it is that it's like scientific. Don't, don't interfere. Like leave them to their way of life. You know, they're doing their thing. Um, why not? We do that to other humans. Mm-hmm. So, well, and a perfect example actually happened during World War II. It was the cult of John Frum, which was a, uh, I think it was a South uh, Western Pacific Island that we had actually set up our, our Navy and our, our, our military had set up a uh, airfield there on their, on their uh, island. And, and these indigenous people that were already in the area had never come across any te- technologically advanced race like us. They were very like uh, secluded, you know what I mean? And they actually started a uh, religion, like worshiping those who had come in like, uh, the, you know, John from the, the, the theory is like that name John from came from like some American military individual that had introduced themselves. I am John from America, John something from America. And they, so they thought that his name was John from, but they also saw like, you know, our ships and our planes and stuff. And afterwards, um, it, it was, it was, uh, it, I think it was just described as like a cargo cult or something like that from, from, from these islands. Like they, they worshiped this new society that they had, had come into contact with. And like, we were so technologically advanced, uh, like they didn't understand what they had seen basically, you know? And so they even kept up the airfields afterwards, after we had left, they had like, um, built bamboo, like, um, towers, like, like, uh, and, and planes and stuff, you know, and, and like waited for the day where these godlike creatures would come back. And I know that like, the, like the, there's, I mean, you can get like, they're pretty in depth with, with this stuff, but I don't know a whole, I mean, I'm just drawing off a of memory, you know what I mean? But, um, I find it very interesting. Like, you know, these, this civilization, this, this, uh, primitive civilization, as we would call it, you know, um, reacted this way. And it, it doesn't, you know, surprise me a lot, a whole lot, but like, it's still kind of, is really interesting, you know, like they, they saw us as like gods almost, you know, and like, because the amount of technical sophistication that we were able to present, they didn't understand. They just hadn't come into contact with anything like that before, you know? So they thought that we must be, something other than they am, they are the they am, whatever, shut up. <laughs> but, but, you know I mean? I, but I, I find that that's one of the stories like from World War II that really interests me. You know, like I find it uh, like very, very uh, compelling that they, they, they met us and then we left. And then afterwards, like they still kept up like this, this whole, like they created like a religious system around what they had experienced. You know what I mean? And I find that most, most, uh, compelling, you know what I mean? 
because it, it's just like it's amazing that like they would see us and we're 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 humans just like they are. Right. Yeah. Well, it's obvi- very thought provoking. Obviously, we're we're more advanced than they are, but like they're still humans, just like they're still like their cranial capacity is just as capable as ours. But they had dealt in different technologies. They had dealt in the technology of survival. You know what I mean? You know, so so they didn't understand what we, what we had done and what we had. You know, I don't know. I, I find it pretty damn interesting that like the way that they reacted. You know what I mean? So like, what if? You know, like what I'm just saying. What if? Like you know, there's there's plenty of like say if we if we did find uh, an alien art, artifact or a crashed aircraft or something like that. How would we, as 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 you know, normal individuals that we see, you know, in our own technological sophistication, how would we react to it? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's, I find it very interesting. This, this makes me think of, a. a I read this book and uh, it was about time travel and these people from the past, they were about to, to die and they would suddenly uh, kind of twist time and space and they would jump forward in the future hundreds or thousands of years and just be plopped down into a completely different society and culture. And in the this book, they very quickly adjusted to this new uh, lifestyle because you kind of have to as a human, you know, to go on to survive. You, can, you have to adapt. So I think, you know, I think about these indigenous people here. And I think if you took them out and you put them in modern society at first it would be difficult and for them and really scary but i think at some point they they would adapt and i'm wondering if you know as a species i think i think we're ready if if that's the case and (laughs) there's some better technology or the government's hiding something from us i think we're ready to to adapt and they should go ahead and uh come clean let us know what's going on i don't know about that we we can't even decide whether or not face masks are a good idea. <laughs> I was going to say, right? there's well, so many, that, there has yeah. to be a requirement. We got to be 100% all in or none of us are in. You know what I mean? Yeah. We all are in it or you can't have that one group that's going to be a, you know, the, the, the chaos, you know what I mean? And the thing that would spread like cancer. So but that's what you guys I said about the war. You can't, between different groups would be the chaos. Yeah. You can't ever picture like humanity without war. I can never picture a time when presenting aliens alien technology that sort of thing is is going to be a good time i don't i don't think there's ever going to be a good time to have the big reveal so why not now why not just do it you know nowish would be nice oh yeah before my lifetime that'd be great yeah, exactly I can remember for one thing we'd have to come up with a new show topic <laughs> would take all the mystery away alien facts i don't know like I don't know. Do do the uh, sports conspiracy podcast? Oh, you know, let's do, not do just sports conspiracies. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't don't tread on my turf. Yeah, <laughs> if it had everything to do with MMA and boxing and stuff, I'd be more than down. Like I like as far as MMA goes, like I wouldn't have to do any research. That would be easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I also do a show called Sports Conspirators. That's what we talk about. Oh no shit. Yeah, is that a, is that on a separate feed or is that on the ATT feed? Uh, it's it's, uh, it's behind a paywall right now until we get enough stacked up to release it as its own. It will be a standalone pod eventually. Oh, okay, we actually just did an episode about sports conspiracies. I think um one of the ones we did, I think uh, Andrew would be really good for because I was talking about Vladimir Klitschko and how there you know he see, he appeared to be poisoned or something, 
But with Andrew's medical background, he'd probably have a much better idea of what actually happened. But uh, that's that was that was a well, really mean, really interesting. As case much as I love boxing, it's one of the most corrupt sports. Oh yeah, it's a disappointing thing, isn't it? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's. Oh yeah, it, we did have a topic. <laughs> 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 the Battle of Los Angeles, but. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so much more we could say on this case. Like I have just, I have tons of newspaper articles and quotes and stuff like just one random one here up to 25 silvery UFOs were also seen by observers on the ground. Editor Pete Jenkins of the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, examiner reported, I could clearly see the V formation of about 25 silvery planes overhead moving slowly across the sky toward Long Beach. So there's, this is one of those cases where the more I looked into it, the, the deeper it went, like it just, it's one of those ones that it goes on and on. And like, if I was going to read more source material and more newspaper articles and stuff like that, it could go on for, you know, another hour or two easily. But yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of all I had on this is, uh, anybody else got, uh, anything else they wanted to say about the battle of Los Angeles before we wrap it up here? Not jumping out. I don't have anything else. Before we wrap it up here, Braden, why don't you tell us where we can find your show? Uh, you just, anywhere you find podcasts, alien theorists, theorizing, um, we're on social media, just type it in. We're, we're everywhere. You can find us, Twi TikTok, all that, all that jazz. Uh, if you like this show, you like our show. If you like our show, you like this show. All right. Hot dog. And didn't we want to mention, uh, about the hospital in oh, Texas? we did. I forgot about that. We, did. we definitely wanted to mention that. No, yeah. okay. This is a hot topic and we normally don't discuss COVID on the show, but this is non-political here. This is actually really, uh, really nice, really cool. There's a team in Texas and it's led by doctors Peter Hotez and Maria Botazzi. And they have found a way to create a vaccine using technology that's decades old essentially it's the same way you create a hepatitis b vaccine so it's really accessible it's really cheap for countries to develop and we wanted to give them a shout out because the unique thing about this particular vaccine is they don't plan on patenting patenting it Pat patenting 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 they don't plan on you know they're just gonna let any country use it and develop it, which is different than the big pharmaceuticals. Yeah, so open source. Open source, very exciting. They're dubbing it uh, Corbivax, and they say it's going to be the world's COVID vaccine. And this is so crazy to me because they're leaving millions of dollars, private jets, private islands. I mean, how much money could they make off of this? And they're just saying, nope, we're just going to release this out into the wild. Everybody's welcome to have it. So that was that was a little encouraging after, you know, the the messy couple of years we've had to see something like that, you know? And not all heroes wear capes, yeah? Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by giving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your friends. Keep it strange. <laughs>